This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. It's been over a year and a half since the first cases of COVID-19 were reported in South Carolina. And as much as people would like it to be, this pandemic is far from over. Earlier this year, there was hope that this fall we would be edging closer to normalcy, that we would have overcome vaccine hesitancy enough that spread would have slowed. But that didn't happen, and slow uptake of the vaccine combined with the Delta variant brought on South Carolina's third major surge in COVID-19 cases. Today, we're taking a closer look at the state of the pandemic right now and the strain that it's causing for people tasked with fighting this pandemic every day. On Monday, September 13th, We spoke with Dr. Brandon Traxler, Director of Public Health for the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control, or DHEC, about this surge and what makes it different from previous spikes in cases during this pandemic. What's the state of COVID-19 spread in South Carolina right now? Sure. So we're seeing very high levels of COVID-19 disease, uh, very high levels of the virus being spread around and really all aspects of communities throughout the state. We're in probably, I guess, the second worst surge that we've seen of the three or four, depending on how you label it, falling closely behind last winter is in terms of being the worst. And we have seen, I think, 11 or 12 weeks you know, of continuous increase. With the Delta variant, we are seeing a lot faster spread, a lot more spread person to person. We're seeing it in younger folks, likely due to how contagious the Delta variant is, but also due to the fact that the highest you know, rates of vaccination among age groups are in the older age groups. They're really the ones who are the most well protected. How does South Carolina compare to the rest of the country right now? Of course, Delta is spreading everywhere, but how does South Carolina compare to other states? Sure. So South Carolina, um, the last couple of weeks has been up there in the top 10 or even at times five states in terms of the case rates at that time. I believe a couple of weeks ago, depending on the data source you looked at, the New York Times was saying we were either we were number one. We we use uh, the CDC's data tracker more when we're looking. And I think it had us number two. I don't think we ever got to number one with it. But regardless, that's high levels of disease whether you're one, two, five. So we are seeing very similar patterns to what have been seen and are being seen in our surrounding states in the Southeast. And you mentioned kind of comparing this to previous surges that this would be right behind the worst surge that we've seen. But I think if any of us think back to that first surge that felt a little bit more like a pandemic world than this one, people are behaving differently, right? So let's maybe put that into perspective a little bit, the cases versus maybe how people are thinking about the pandemic and the risk. That surge in the winter of last year, there were still more precautions being taken. A lot more folks were wearing masks when they went out in public. A lot more people were being very careful about not going to large events. You know, we were seeing a lot more what we call mitigation efforts, you know, to slow the spread of the virus. People did it because it was what we needed to do to, you know, keep people safe and and keep the economy in our state going. That wave also, vaccines were just rolling out. And so really there was a lot of hope. It was a lot of, we just need to get through this last push and get, because the vaccines are here, they're coming more and more every week into our state. We just need people to get vaccinated. Um, So there is a bit different feeling this time around. There's not as much of the efforts for mitigation going on. 
we have the vaccines, but not as many people, not nearly as many people as we as we want have gotten vaccinated, have chosen to do that. One of the things that we're still learning more about are breakthrough cases, right? So folks who are fully vaccinated, but they do become infected with COVID-19. Do we know anything right now about breakthrough cases in South Carolina in terms of overall case spread? Do we know anything about how common breakthrough cases are right now in South Carolina? We started collecting breakthrough cases, and what we report out on is what the CDC asks for. They, as of May 1st, started wanting reported to them any hospitalized or, or fatal um, breakthrough cases, so where the person was had a breakthrough case and were either hospitalized and or passed away from COVID-19. That's data we collect, and we report it to the CDC, and so as of, I believe it was as of um, the end of August, so I don't have the last couple weeks worth, but as of the end of August, we had um, just over 6,800 breakthrough cases in the state, which sounds certainly like a lot. And I think most of us know somebody who's unfortunately been a breakthrough case. But when you look at it as the percentage of fully vaccinated people in the state who did have a breakthrough infection, it's 0.33%. So that sounds much better. Both statistics are accurate, but recognizing what the real risk is based on that percentage is certainly important. We know that even out of those 6,800, only about that we know of 575 of those either were hospitalized and or died of COVID-19. So then you get even lower. Then you're looking at like 0.03% of fully vaccinated people who had to be hospitalized or died. And so that data shows us that well, breakthrough cases do occur. If you're fully vaccinated, it is still you know, a very low likelihood. But we also know then that if you do get a breakthrough case, you're most likely going to be mild, you know, worse, moderate symptoms. Your chances of hospitalization or death are certainly decreased. On that subject, at this point in time, of course, these numbers are being updated on a regular basis. But as we're talking now, September 13th, where does that vaccination rate stand in South Carolina right now? We track two numbers really among, among South Carolina residents. We look at anybody who's had at least one dose, and then we look at uh, those who have completed their vaccination series. We're at 58.5% of South Carolinians who are eligible, so 12 years and older, who have gotten at least one dose of a vaccine. And we're just under 50%. We're at 49.6% of eligible South Carolinians who have completed their vaccination series. And kind of, again, how does that compare to what we've seen in other states since the vaccines became available? So it's very in line with what we've seen in other southeastern states. It is not as high of rates as are being seen in other parts of the country. So we certainly know that we have a ways to go and are continuing to encourage people to get vaccinated. Have we seen demand for vaccinations improve at all since we've had this surge in cases and you know, more time, more information, more things like that data to show, okay, the vaccines continue to be effective? I have seen our data for how many people were vaccinated in July and then in August. And we did. We had not quite twice as many in August as compared to July. It still was not at the numbers that I want to see and that we need to see, but it improved. And that's certainly a good thing. Are there any particular 
demographics in South Carolina that have lower vaccination rates that in particular you're trying to reach out to and kind of overcome vaccine hesitancy? Absolutely. So the younger folks, the uh, young adults and the teenagers are where we really are seeing the lowest vaccination rates. It pretty much goes down as you go down in age categories in terms of the percentage of, of them that are vaccinated. So seeing our elderly with the highest rates and then going down to teenagers, those 12 to 12 to 19 year olds that are eligible, you know, until this wave, they were not as affected as some of the older age groups. We really, with those first surges, saw the elderly and and some of the older part of middle-aged really being the most affected regarding serious illness, especially. I think that a lot of the young adults and the teenagers really think that it's not something they need to worry about, that they're not going to get infected, or if they do, it's just going to be an annoyance and keep them out of school or work briefly, but won't be a big deal. And unfortunately, we are seeing hospitalizations and, you know, increasing cases and then also hospitalizations. And we even had, you know, some, some folks who are younger who have died of, of COVID-19. Right. That seems to be one of the more troubling differences about this surge and about Delta, right? Seeing more cases in general among, among children, but more serious cases, right? Is that really going back to, to Delta and this, this being a different strain? Most likely, yes. It certainly is much more contagious, and so we have a lot more kids who are getting infected. And as we talked about earlier, people aren't doing as much mask wearing or avoiding big crowds. And so that combined with something that spreads so much more easily and does seem to infect children more than previously, or at least spread among them more than previous you know, strains of the virus, I think is leading to more infections and more serious ones. Yeah, I know one of the things that we've heard is that children's hospitals are seeing more strain from from having more COVID patients, but also just hospitals in general. What are we hearing from South Carolina hospitals right now about the strain they're seeing, supplies they're needing, and maybe how does that compare again to earlier surges in the pandemic? In regards to physical space and staffing in the hospitals, I mean, we are hearing that um, we are not, you know, at that critical point that that you hear about with some states in the country, you know, having to make decisions about rationing resources, but we are getting very full. They are feeling the strain and their healthcare workers are feeling the strain. And there have been, you know, staffing shortages and healthcare workers since prior to the pandemic, which has only been exacerbated by the pandemic. And I know from talking to colleagues and friends, you know, who are out there on the front lines, the nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and everyone, I mean, they're tired. They're feeling it. They're, they are working, you know, their absolute hardest and are seeing just huge volumes and, you know, seeing as we talk about younger cases, which is emotionally, you know, more challenging, certainly for anyone. We are doing everything we can to make sure that resources aren't a problem. You know, if they have needs for any you know, specific equipment, if they need ventilators, anything like that, we are, you know, we are working with them along with the emergency management division to make sure that, that we help support them in that regard. That theme of the people who are on the front lines of this pandemic, having been in this for so long now, you know, for for a year and a half, that fatigue aspect is also something that especially with this current surge that we're seeing. And in addition to to hospital workers, I know that's something that's being experienced by DHEC, by uh, workers with the agency who have been working 
long, long hours for so long now. Can you speak a little bit to that about what you've seen in yourself and your colleagues? And like I said, what might be different about this current surge just because of that fatigue of this going on so long? Sure. So today is day 554 officially of our incident command system structure, um, us having a formal emergency response team. And when I say team, we're talking hundreds, if not a, you know, a thousand or two people everywhere in every part of the state um, who are involved in this response. And, and for many of us, there were even a couple of months prior to when we started counting um, where we were preparing the state because we started counting basically a couple of days after uh, I think the first cases in the state were identified on late in the day on a Friday. And so that Monday was when we started counting after that. And I mean, that's, that's a lot of days. And it's a lot of days that where at times there have been long stretches without any day off. There have been very long days. I think that certainly not only is everyone tired, but seeing this surge and it knowing it was a preventable one, if we had just gotten vaccination rates high enough, is certainly something that weighs on people's minds. But I am so proud of this team. They do so much. And I don't know that everybody in the state realizes how much DHEC does do and how much the people of DHEC do. We've got staff out there in all kinds of weather, whether it be sleet in the winter, rain, the extreme heat. You know, we have to worry about making sure our folks aren't passing out wearing the PPE out there at our testing sites and all. I mean, they're out there and and we're not always the most popular people. And so I think everybody has has heard it, whether it be from somebody driving by, yelling out their car window at a testing site or a vaccination site to getting emails. You know, we all, we're all human and we are all doing our absolute best and and everybody that's in it is in it because we care about the state and we care about the people of the state. I worry about just the energy levels and morale among my team, but they continue to amaze me. They continue to show up and just, there's nobody, if we're in a fight against this pandemic, there's nobody I'd rather, rather be in the trenches with than these folks. We'll talk more about that strain being felt at the state's health department with reporter Avery Wilkes right after this quick message. Hi, I'm Jennifer Barry Hawes, a reporter from The Post and Courier. Working as a local reporter, I found that we can cover national stories in a way that reporters who come in from New York or DC or Atlanta simply cannot. We've lived in the community, we have contacts in the community, we've raised children here, we own houses here. We can bring perspectives that somebody coming in from the outside simply cannot. When stories come up, we know who to contact to find out what's going on. We understand the impact that it has on people who live here because we live here as well. That's why the local perspective that we provide is so important. Learn more at postandcourier.com slash subscribe. Now, before we get into our next conversation, I recommend you read Avery Wilk's story on DHEC. In it, he describes, primarily from the point of view of rank-and-file employees at the agency, what it's been like for those workers for the last year and a half as they've been up against this pandemic. It's a really interesting read, and I sat down with Avery, along with frequent co-host Gavin McIntyre, who was the photographer for that story, to ask more about what they saw and how it maybe changed their thoughts on the work that's been happening behind the scenes of this pandemic. If you haven't read it yet, check today's show notes where we've included a link. All right, here's Avery. 
So what prompted this kind of deep dive into DHEC and employees' experiences during the pandemic? What kind of gave you this idea? I think it was just curiosity about what it's been like at DHEC and specifically the fact that DHEC has never had a chance to really tell its story during the pandemic in the first 18 months. So we've kind of always had that curiosity in the back of our heads about what has actually been going on at DHEC. You know, I was able to actually get access to go behind the scenes to, to spend some time with them in their headquarters and at some of their facilities in Columbia. And we learned that it was actually quite a lot. And we were sort of impressed with all the work that had been going on that you just don't hear about on a daily basis. So what kind of access did you have? How many employees were you able to speak to? What kind of things were you able to observe? We were granted a, a fairly extensive list of people who were willing to be interviewed once DHEC was aware that we would like to do a story and we were looking for people to talk candidly about their experience. But in addition to that, when we were hanging out at DHEC's offices, we kind of had a whirlwind day, Gavin and I did, where we would go from meeting to meeting. We would tour these, these labs and warehouses and offices, and we were just going from one room to the next. And we'd stop every uh, every so often with four or five different people and do sort of a group interview with them. And so we tackled you know, probably a couple dozen interviews just in in one day of that. You know, we were getting all these really really great interviews, but it was kind of an exhausting day. So we were able to observe a lot that day. We saw their command staff meeting it begins at 9 a.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And that's where. They all kind of brief each other on how things are going in various assets of the response to the pandemic, from testing to vaccinations to what lawmakers are, are yelling at them about to you know what questions the general public is having, what little fires they need to put out on a daily basis. All that stuff comes up. There's a 10 a.m. meeting right after that that we sat in on where they kind of drill down into some of those issues and talk about how they're going to fix them. Basically, everywhere we went, we ran into people who are frustrated uh, at, at South Carolina's low vaccination rate at the growing number of, of cases and deaths and hospitalizations, you know, that are exhausted just from all the long hours that they've worked and really uh, fearful and full of dread, I think, over the fact that they thought, you know, with the, with the low case numbers in the summer and the vaccine that, that we would be able to tackle this. And, and now it's looking like we're not and, and that they're going to have to basically continue living this nightmare that they briefly thought they, they had woken up from. One thing that surprised me while we were there was just how open uh, the employees were with us and being able to tell about their experience throughout this pandemic. I mean, were you kind of surprised by that as well? Or did you expect to get that kind of kind of openness from them? I was surprised, frankly, with the level of access that we got the whole time. State agencies, government entities, businesses, they're all seemingly more fearful than ever that some reporter is going to come in and make them look terrible and do a really unfair job. And I think what I was trying to stress the whole time is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to come in and with an agenda to try to make you look bad. I'm not going to pull punches either and ignore things and, you know, be an apologist for DHEC, which of course we weren't in the story. We pointed out plenty of examples where they they warranted criticism for their response to the, uh, the pandemic. But, you know, we, we were kind of stressing nonstop that this is your opportunity to tell your story. So you need to be candid. You need to share 
you know, some of your lowest moments from uh, some of your greatest frustrations, uh, some of the, the ways that the pandemic affected you personally. Most of the people we were talking to had never dealt with reporters before. They were not, they're rank and file employees or mid-level managers. They're not the executive director who we also did speak to. They're not, you know, the higher ups at the agency. So I, I think, you know, just talking to more of those sort of real people that you don't see every day, you know, they, they did see this as their sort of one chance to get their story out. Uh, and I, I, I really appreciated the level of candor that they that they had. What were some of those examples, some of those personal examples that stuck with you of how their their work in this pandemic has affected their their lives? One of the most powerful ones for me was hearing the lab supervisor, Christy Greenwood, talk about how she's a single mom and she has five and seven year old children and she realized she just could not take care of them while also spending so much of her time at the lab trying to keep turnaround times for tests down to 48 hours. So she took her kids to her mother's house uh, for them to stay with their grandmother. You know, there were there were plenty of other stories like that where people just missed out on a year of their kids lives. I thought I don't have kids, but I still thought that was super powerful. And it shows how dedicated they are to the mission. You know, how easy would it have been for them to just kind of quit or go to a, another lab that would pay them more? when they're going through all that stuff, when they're missing soccer games, dance recitals, bedtimes, that that struck me as really powerful. There's also Leslie Savage, who was the internal planner. Uh, she's one of the people on the command staff. And she was just so busy during the early part of the pandemic that when their destination wedding to Mexico for her and her fiance got canceled, she realized that one of DHEC's attorneys was a notary and they just went and got married in the parking lot. And, and then after that, you know, they didn't go off on some honeymoon or anything like that. Like it was, I think it was a Tuesday. So they just, uh, she went back into the office and, you know, went into a meeting. So it's little things like that, that they were all kind of willing to sacrifice. And then of course, there's the, the stories of that we heard and, and we eventually found some of the people who experienced this of employees who suffered medical episodes. And I think, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, we work 12 hours a day for seven days straight and it really sucked. But you know, the fact that people were collapsing on the job, that people were suffering so much stress that their their blood pressure was skyrocketing, that they, you know, the former executive director could have had a stroke before he took his medical leave of absence and then retired. And then the, you know, the, the attorney, Will Britt, that we talked to, who uh, suffered a panic attack for the first time in his life and found himself lying in a flower bed outside the, um, the DHEC office and literally thought he was going to die. Uh, I think all that just shows how, um, how much they all believed in the mission and how hard they were work, working to try to tackle the pandemic. And, you know, one thing that they did mention, and I think we heard it, you know, at a few different places was just like, they kind of became more of a family or there was more like the relationships became closer or they tried to find moments of joy like at the lab they described creating like an easter egg hunt you know among themselves because they couldn't be with family you know what were kind of the moments of joy that you kind of heard or saw while there i was struck by the fact that they were celebrating every little thing like it was a big thing I, we were walking around seeing people in party hats and carried around cake for a co-worker's birthday you know, anytime there have been pregnancy announcements or someone had a, a baby or something, they would go out of their way to really celebrate it. And it, it, it kind of goes back to that foxhole mentality. You know, they're all in this together. And that quote from Christy Greenwood, the lab supervisor, said, you know, she doesn't really think they actually coped with it, but they all just kept 
coming into work and kind of suppressing all the negative morale they had and, and coming in together. And I, we, we heard another quote that we didn't get into the, uh, the story. One of the uh, employees, maybe one of the attorneys told us that they just don't talk about all the frustrations they have on the job because it would just only hurt morale even further. So I thought it was interesting just the, the level of intention that they all seem to have in trying to keep their own spirits up and, and trying to keep each other's spirits up. That was that was an obvious focus uh, of, of basically every employee we saw there. You spoke a little bit at the beginning about some of your thoughts going into this reporting process. And has reporting this story changed your perspective at all? It has. I found myself last year getting really frustrated with the lack of answers we were getting out of DHEC. I still think some of that is warranted, but you know, seeing how hard they work, how much they're doing, how intelligent some of these people are behind the scenes, it certainly opened my eyes to to what's really going on at DHEC. And this this has certainly changed my perception of, of DHEC. And you know, hopefully for, for people who have read the story, they'll be able to understand a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes of, uh, of the way you interact with the pandemic. Every time you take a test, when you got the vaccine, even things as small as looking at the daily numbers that come out every day about cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. There are dozens and dozens of people working almost around the clock to to get those things done. So hopefully this story helps acknowledge some of that work. All right, listeners, that's all for today. If you have questions about the pandemic in South Carolina that you'd like us to answer on this show, let us know. Our email is understandsc at postandcourier.com, or you can DM us on Twitter at understandsc. For the latest reporting on COVID-19, visit our dashboard. I'll include a link to that and to Avery's deep dive on DHEC in today's show notes. Thanks for listening. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our intro music is by Billy Fountain. You can find his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see you all next week.